Last week in the second service, we had a young man to join our church, Jeremy Wells, and I wanted to let you guys know about that so you could celebrate as well. Really young guy, uh, just a baby, uh, about my age. Uh, so, so anyway, just just excited to have him come along and and uh, and be a part of our church. And so, uh, I know that some of you have been visiting for some time and and you haven't actually committed to join yet. Uh, today would be a great day to do that. If you haven't really made a commitment to be a, a member of our church, we'd love to to have you to be uh, officially a part of us, just as you are actively participating with us. Well, today we're looking at John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. We've been walking systematically through Jesus' farewell discussion with his disciples, the last instructions that he gave them to get them ready before he was to uh, go to the cross. And so in the passage we're looking at today, Jesus talks about several things that you may have never connected in the past as being related, such as obedience, friendship, joy. And yet Jesus is teaching us that all these things are intricately related together. So when we think about what does a Christian life look like? What does a Christian life look like? What are we supposed to be Doing, I think that's, that's a f very fair question for all of us to ask ourselves as Christians and to keep asking ourselves as we grow and progress in our Christian faith. What does our life look like? What is it that we're supposed to be, to be doing? And so as we think about this, a lot of people will come up with very different answers about what the Christian life should actually look like at, at different times throughout church history. And even today, we see so much diversity across churches as people have very different understanding about what it is that Christians should be doing, what it is that defines the Christian life. Well, Jesus tells us in this passage today that he wants us to have a life of joy, a life of joy. But he also calls us to be obedient to his commands. And he teaches us that the two are related together because his commands are meant to lead us into joy, into joy. And fortunately, many people have a, a, an overly simplistic and distorted understanding of God's commands. They see God's commands as restrictive rules, box them in and keep them from experiencing anything fun. In the reality, Jesus has given us commands so that we might experience constant joy, joy. And so when we find ourselves obedient to his commands, then we, by default, we move into this whole different lifestyle Lifestyle, not, not an experience of joy, but a lifestyle of joy, something that continues on. When I was a pastor in North Carolina many years ago, when I first went there, they had, in, in, the, in the region that I was at, a very strong accent. Uh, the guy that led our music, it was like he was speaking a foreign language. I couldn't even understand a word he was saying. It took me forever to interpret it. They also had different words. Once I finally figured out the words they were saying, I still didn't know what they were talking about because they meant totally different things. 
And so we got there, and we moved into this house that nobody had lived in for a little while. And you know how it is. When things aren't uh, operated, they, they begin to have problems. And so the heat wouldn't work. And we got this repairman to come out. And, you know, I was on a mission with new people. wanted to invite him to the church. And I struck up a little conversation with him. And I said, I said do, you, do you live anywhere near here in this, this area? And he says, oh, he says, I stay with so-and-so's granddaughter really just across the field there in a he said, you go up the highway, turn left, turn down, and, and come back around, and, and, and I stay with so-and-so's granddaughter right there. And so I, I just let that go. I didn't feel like that that's how I wanted to start the conversation, by confronting him about shacking up with somebody. So I just let that go, and then we, I talked to him a little more, and I invited him to the church, and, and went back inside, and, and my wife says, well, how did it go? And I says, well, hey, I said, he's a very honest person. I said, I just asked him where he lived, and he immediately told me about he was staying over here with somebody's granddaughter, you know, at such a place. And then we got to church and had a little meeting with some of the deacons, and one of the deacons said, uh, well, I stay over so-and-so, and another one said, well, I stay here. And, and uh, so, so then I, I finally found out that in North Carolina, you don't live anywhere. You just stay there. That's, a, that's true. That's what they say in southeastern North Carolina. Everybody says that. They, they stay somewhere. They don't, they don't live anywhere. They stay somewhere. And so that's, so that's, he wasn't telling me that he was uh, uh, visiting with somebody's granddaughter. That was his wife, and that's where their house was, and that's where they lived. But he said, that's, that's where we stay. Well, the more I thought about that, I, I, I guess it makes as much sense as anything else to say that you, you stay somewhere. It means to live somewhere, to remain somewhere. When Jesus says, abide in my love, that's what he's, the word abide, it means where you live. It's where you stay. It's where you remain. In fact, some translations translate that abide. Some translations translate it remain. They mean the same thing. It means where you live. And so Jesus is calling us not to visit love or joy, but to live in it. That it just becomes who we are as people. You say, well, how do you get there? Well, we get there by following his commands because they are meant to guide us into this life of joy and love. And so that's what we're talking about today is about living in the joy of the Lord, the joy that he says he wants to give us. So John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17 is where we'll be. Would you join me in standing as we read this together? The Bible says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends for 
All that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray together. Lord, help us today to love one another, to bear fruit that will abide, and Lord, to bring honor and glory to your kingdom by how we live. I pray today that you would show us how to live in the midst of the love and the joy of the Lord. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So how do we find joy? We find joy in living in the love of the Lord. And the first thing I want you to understand today when we talk about this, why would we be motivated to totally change our life and pursue something different? And the first reason is because we are, we are loved. We are loved. In verse 9, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus begins before he ever calls us to love one another by telling us and reassuring us that he loves us. Throughout these many years as pastor, there's so many times that Suzanne and I see people that just desperately want to be loved. We've seen young people that for whatever reason just can't seem to find anybody that they can uh, begin a lifelong relationship with and and they begin doing things to try to just attract attention and find somebody. And, and many times we see that just kind of play out and we'll sit back from a distance and we just, we just mourn knowing that they just want to be loved. And there's many people today that are in the later years of their life and perhaps their spouse has died. They, children are, are gone, different places, and they, they're very lonely and they, they just want to be loved. I want you to understand this, whether there's another person on this planet who loves you or not, Jesus loves you. And he says to us in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus loves us, and he loves us in the same way that the Father loves him. In John chapter 13, this is just two chapters prior, the Bible speaks about this love. It says, now therefore before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. I want you to listen to this phrase right here. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples before they were born. He loved them when he called them to be his disciples. And when he knew he was about to go to the cross and suffer a horrendous death and bear the wrath of God for their sin, the Bible says that he loved them to the end. And he loved you as well. As we sang this morning about the cross and what Jesus did for us, he did that because he, he loves you. And so Jesus therefore says, abide in my love. Abide means to live there, remain, stay in his love. So when we think about the commandments of the Lord, we first remember that he loves us. And because he loves us, he gives us commandments. 
And he loves us enough to give us commandments that will lead us to life and joy and peace and not leave us to self-destruct our lives through the pursuit of fleeting pleasures that may even seem right in the moment, but the end thereof is death. Jesus loves us enough not to nod in passive agreement, but instead to tell us the truth that we need to hear. And so he gives us commandments to guide us into a way of life that leads to joy. Abide. So the commandments of the Lord are not meant to oppress us, but to teach us to love. In verse 10 he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus has given us commandments in order to lead us into a life of love and to lead us into a life of peace and joy. I think one of the reasons people struggle with the concept of loving their brothers and sisters in Christ is because we don't really understand what Jesus is speaking of when he says love. There's so many people today that have completely confused love with infatuation, lust, excitement, emotion. We think because we get some butterflies in our stomach when we get around somebody that, that, that that's love. But the Bible describes love not in the sense of some kind of sentimental emotion but toward another person, but in terms of service and sacrifice. This is how Jesus loved us. He served us. And he gave his life for us. And he's given us commandments to help us to love one another. In verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So the purpose of obedience is to lead us into a life full of joy. Sometimes uh, young people believe the gospel, but don't want to yet receive it because they're afraid that they're going to miss out on some fun in their life. And so they, they later plan to make a decision. I mean, when, I was a, when I was a teenager, I had a good friend that I was witnessing to, and I invited him to our church, and he wouldn't come, and I shared with him about the gospel. And and this is what he said when he finally got honest with me. He said, he said, Kevin, he said, I, I'm going to become a Christian. But now is not the time. He says, we're young. We got college ahead of us. We need to have fun. We need to have a good time. And then later, when I get married and I start having kids, That'll be the time to go to church. Many people think what he was honest enough to say, that God's commands are meant to restrict our life and make us dull, boring, miserable people. And they believe that these commands are somehow good and perhaps God has the authority to give them, so they want to submit to them, but just not yet because they don't want to miss out on different things in life. God 
is not going to call you to miss out on anything that is good. The purpose of Jesus' commandments is to lead us to a life of joy. He says, these things have I spoken to you, that, that, that means the purpose, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Notice that, full. And so, not just to have a little taste of joy, but he wants us to have life that is, that is full of joy. I was thinking this week about how do you define joy? I don't really know how to put it in words and draw the boundaries around it, but I know it when I see it and I know it when I experience it. And I think most of you do as well. And Jesus said that his purpose in giving us these commandments that his purpose was to lead us into a life not just that has some joy in it, but a life that is full of joy. There's a lot of things in life that are pleasurable, and they're not all bad. But a lot of things in life that are pleasurable, they, they just last for a, a moment or just a season. They're, they're temporary. And that's the problem with Emotions, they, they come and they go. They, they change. For some of us, they, they change like Kentucky weather. You just constant change. And so we look, for, we look for some kind of happiness, excitement, some kind of thrill. It comes and it, and it goes. But, but joy can remain. Joy can remain. I've seen people lose their parents. I've seen people lose a spouse and, and go to comfort them. And they have joy. They find joy in their relationship with the Lord and knowing the relationship that their family member had. So you see, joy can transcend the circumstances and the problems of our life. And Jesus wants to lead us in a way of living that will lead us to this kind of joy. When he speaks about love, he's calling us to love like he loves. So Jesus explicitly says that his commandment is love. Here's what he says in verses 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So, so Jesus says that, that his commandment is that we love one another earlier in chapter 13. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So Jesus says that his commandment is, is love. And earlier he said it's a new commandment. And I don't think that he meant that it was a totally new idea. But Jesus showed us a new level of love and a new way to love in that he loved us through service and through sacrifice, and he calls us to love each other in the same way, in the same way. 
When we think about how we love our children, I know not everybody in this room has children, but uh, hopefully you can, you've seen enough that you can relate. And certainly we've all been children and had parents. But you know, as parents, we, we don't love our children by giving them everything that they want. It's a recipe for disaster. We don't love our children by agreeing with everything that they think or that they say. We don't love our children by being passive and never offering guidance. That's not how we love our children. We love our children by serving them. We, we love them by giving them what they don't even know yet that they need. We, we love them by providing them boundaries and providing them guidance and encouragement and support. We make sacrifices on their behalf that they don't even understand yet. We, we serve them. That's how we express love. And in the same way, God's calling us to love one another. That, that our love for people in the church would, would not be based upon some kind of emotion. I can tell you right now, you're not going to get excited every time you see every single person in the church. There are going to be people that are going to sin against you. They're going to say very rude things to you. Uh, they, they may even gossip against you. There are going to be times that you come into very different ideas about what you think is best for the church, and there's going to be tension. You're not always going to be excited and have some kind of emotional response every time you see somebody in church. But that's not what love is. Love is service. Love is sacrifice. Love is giving of yourself to serve the needs of others to the best of your ability whether they even understand it or appreciate it in the moment or not. Several years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago now, there was a young couple that came to me and they were wanting to join the church and they were living together and uh, they just recently kind of got in church and, and, and I, I talked to them about the sin of sex outside of marriage. Well, you can imagine that just didn't go very well. Uh, first, they told me that they weren't having any sex. They'd just been living together. And so, anyway, I had that conversation probably 5,000 times in my ministry. Nobody's having sex anymore. They just, they just live together. And by the time that the guy got done explaining this whole situation, I mean, like he lived on one side of the house and she lived on the other. They'd never even seen each other in the house. So, anyway, uh, that's kind of how that, that, that conversation went. And I've had that same conversation over and over and over again. And so we kept having conversations, and they finally became honest with me. And they, I, I talked to them. They, they said, well, how do, you, how do you change? And I said, well, I said, well you, you guys need to decide whether you're going to be a, a, a husband and wife or not. And they said, well, we, we, we want to get married. We can't afford to get married. I said, it's free to get married. It doesn't cost anything. We don't charge to marry people. Well, we want to have this big, beautiful ceremony. I said, well, that's, that's fine. I said, why don't you get married? And six months, a year, when you have some more money, we can have a big, beautiful ceremony. We can all celebrate that you've been married. Well, they, they moved out. And they set their wedding date. And they stayed separate. And they got married. And the next day, they joined the church. About... Fifteen years later, I totally lost contact with them. But that is one of the redeeming factors of social media. It can reconnect you with people. 
And the wife found me on social media. She wrote me this long message. And here's what she said. She said, our family, our friends, nobody cared enough about us to tell us the truth. They just wanted to go along and condone what we did. And she said, thank you for caring enough about us to tell us the truth and to help us make the right decision. They're still together to this, to this day. Love in the church does not mean being passive. It doesn't mean condoning everything. It doesn't mean agreeing with everybody. It doesn't mean getting some kind of sentimental emotion every time that you see somebody. Love is service and sacrifice. This is how Jesus loved us. And he's calling us to love in the same way. He's calling us to love in the same way. And so he set an example for us. In John 15, verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love his disciples? He loved them by teaching them. He loved them by serving them. In John chapter 13, verses 13 through 15, he said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus had performed the duties of a household servant as the disciples had come in for the Last Supper. He had literally gotten down and washed their feet. And this is why he did it, verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus loved his disciples by teaching them. He loved them by serving them. And he loved them by forgiving them, by forgiving them. This is what love in the church looks like. We serve, we forgive, we make sacrifices, all for the building up of the body. We're motivated by what other people need. And we meet their needs, and we build up the body of Christ. Jesus not only set an example, but he set a standard for us. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. He never called us to do anything that he hasn't already done. When you think about, it's a lot that you're asking here. For us to be concerned about other people in the church and for us to do things for their benefit and for us to do things to try to help them to grow, for us to serve, it's a lot to ask. Well, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. He served his disciples. He served us. He set the bar pretty high. And so whenever we become discouraged, and, and you will be discouraged in church. If you've never been discouraged in church, you've probably never spoken to anybody in church before. You'll be discouraged in church. There's just going to be things that, that you don't like. There's going to be things that people don't like about you. There's going to be unkind. There's going to be things to discourage you. 
And when you get discouraged, remember what Jesus did for you. And what he's calling you to do for the church is so small in comparison to what he did for you. He set the example. And he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus may have given us commands, but not because we're servants. He says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He has made known to us what God is doing in the world. I don't don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are the best of friends. It's kind of of an odd combination. I mean, Bill Gates, you know, founded Microsoft. Uh, Warren Buffett hates technology, doesn't understand it. Made all his money off of Gillette and Coca-Cola. It's kind of of an odd relationship. But I saw him in an interview explaining how they got together. Uh, uh, Mr. Buffett was was traveling through the area where where Gates lives. And uh, his... Uh, uh, Bill Gates's mother had the governor to her home and she had Warren Buffett visiting her home and she wanted Bill to meet Warren Buffett. And he said, I didn't want to go. I said, I didn't care nothing about meeting Warren Buffett. I thought, what in the world do we have in common? But he said, I just went to, to appease my mother. And there was a 15-minute block on Warren Buffett's schedule to meet with Bill Gates. And so they went back into a bedroom and sat there and the governor showed up. He was next on the schedule to meet with Warren Buffett. And uh, they said that two hours later, they finally had to go back and interrupt uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett because the governor couldn't wait any longer to, to meet with him. And they said, what in the world did you find to talk about? And here's what they found to talk about. This is what drew them together. This is why they talk on the phone almost every day. Prediction of the future. Both of them are obsessed with trying to figure out what's going to happen next in the world. Warren Buffett said he reads on average about six hours a day trying to figure out what's going to happen next in the world. And him and Bill get on the phone and they, they talk about their ideas and bounce them off of one another. This is what they bonded over, was trying to figure out what's going to happen next. Do you know how we know what's going to happen in the world? And I, and I don't mean what they mean in terms of, of what are we going to be driving next and those kind of things. But do you know ultimately what's going to happen in the world? Jesus has revealed it to us. He's revealed us what he's doing in the world. How he's going to bring it all to an end. How he's going to return. And this is the thing that distinguishes servants and friends. He says, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. There's one last thing I want to show you today. And I, I know you haven't listened very fast. We're out of time. Y'all are getting very fidgety, but just hang on. One last thing. Notice what it says. In verse 16, you did not choose me, 
but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus has chosen us to make an eternal difference in people's lives. Every Christian is on a mission. We find joy in pursuing this mission and seeing it come to fruition. Jesus said that we should go. That's, that's our mission in the world, go. Wherever he's placed us, we, we go, we bear fruit, that our fruit should abide. So what does mission have to do with commandments and joy? Well, Jesus knew that love for one another was essential to bearing fruit. So here's what he says. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In another passage, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.